Everybody's making work now with technology, which is a good thing. Anybody can make a really great-looking photo, a decent movie, and it's also this era of the selfie. I mean, I'm sorry, but I really bloody hate that term. That's like reducing the idea of the self-portrait to this shrill party girl impulse. No offense, party girls. You know, in a loud restaurant. You know, I mean, give me a break. Hi, this is Libby. And this is Roberta. And this is our blog radio. That was John Kelly speaking. We're talking with John today. He's a performance artist based in New York and a vocalist known for his three-octave range and his vocal impersonations of Joni Mitchell and his theatrical performances that explore the genius of art and artists. Kelly is performing his one-person show, The Escape Artist, on January 24th at Bryn Mawr College. We're speaking with him today at the Culture Workspace in Center City, Philadelphia. In The Escape Artist, which is 70 minutes long, you, it's a solo piece and you're performing on your back and I've seen images and it looks like you're paralyzed for 70 minutes and you sing seven songs lying flat on your back, not moving a muscle. So can you explain to us the, the core of what The Escape Artist is about and why you're performing on your back like that? Sure. Um, the piece is based on an actual incident that occurred. I was training on the trapeze 11 years ago and slipped out of an ankle drop and landed on the back of my neck and fractured two vertebrae. And I spent 15 hours in St. Vincent's Hospital in the emergency room, not knowing if I, I would need surgery. So it really was kind of like a vision quest of me dealing with all this consequence and reality. So that's the autobiographical part. The, the creative part is that I wanted to make a piece about Caravaggio, the, the Italian Baroque painter, because I had been in Rome for a year and I was videotaping myself inhabiting Caravaggio's paintings to varying degrees. And I decided if I made a piece uh, about the accident, I would have the, the, the core of, of the piece. But once he's laid up, i.e. once I'm laid on this table on stage, this distressed man facing complete catastrophe, finds refuge in this fantasy world inhabited by Caravaggio paintings. Now is it singing those three octaves on your back? Well, I actually had a voice teacher who would have us lie on a table and sing. It's just, it's just a slight adjustment. It's not harder at all. It's really just about letting your body be what it's meant to be without the usual constraints, like when we're standing, we have posture, we have history, we have all that. Whereas lying on a table, you're essentially able to relax. That said, some adjustments do have to occur, like pitch. You have to really be mindful of um, you're not being too relaxed <laughs> and not going flat, for instance, because you're lying flat. So, all right, let's get back to the trapeze because mm -hmm. a red flag went off when that word came up. Why did you want to do that? Did that come before dance or around the same time as dance? Or It came much after and, and well into my career. In 1993, I was scheduled to make a piece for the Brooklyn Academy of Music Next Wave Festival. And I was in a photo shoot and this photographer said, do you know Barbette? I was like, my God, yeah, I know Barbette. The cross-dressing trapeze artist from Round Rock, Texas, who became the rage of Paris in the 1920s. 
there were these very famous photos by Man Ray of Barbette, and also Jean Cocteau wrote essays about Barbette. And I knew in that moment that I would love to do a piece about Barbette, and in that same moment, I had to ask myself, could I learn to do trapeze, because I'd not done trapeze or tight wire. And I said, sure, why not? So I studied with a Russian coach uh, in New York, and I studied uh, with the Pickle family circus in San Francisco for tight wire, and I became a good enough trapeze artist to uh, inhabit this character. And that was in 93. And I was working on another piece 11 years ago about Children of Paradise, the French film from 1945, the very famous French film. For the climactic moment, I was going to have the character stranded in space on a trapeze. And I was in a training session for that piece, and that's when the accident occurred. And so the one thing that's not autobiographical in here is that the piece, The Escape Artist, is not about Children of Paradise, it's about Caravaggio. The rest of it's completely autobiographical. And it seems to me that there's something about having a voice with that range that suggests multiple identities. I've called myself a range queen because there's something about the desire to kind of extend the the vocal range. And I happen to love singing in in my head voice. It just feels really good. That's a countertenor technical term for it. But um, also it really is a way of merging the selves, merging the head voice with the chest voice, negotiating the register break in between, which is really the hard terrain always to uh, negotiate in any voice, and having the capacity to sing in different parts of the voice and have it be different colors, useful for different characters. As, As much as I like to transform myself visually and physically, I like to have the option of singing low, singing high, singing medium, singing this, singing that. It just adds to my arsenal. So have you always been using this voice? Like, did you do this as a child? I don't remember, actually. I mean, I, I think I would, I would sing here and there as a child. But really, I, I began singing at the, at the Pyramid Club at 2 in the morning to Music Minus One records with no vocal training, singing mezzo-soprano arias in punk drag and in boy drag and whatever. So um, I was doing it with a lot of will and a lot of moxie. So can you show us a little of that moxie right now? We, we told you we were going to ask. <laughs> He's rolling his head. He's trying not to. No, all right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do a little You're bit. coming off a cold, right? We have to set this up, right? Yeah, and I'm, you know, so... Anyway, I'll do a little bit of a... The, the songs, most of the songs in the piece are original, co-written with uh, Carol Lipnick, and some are purely mine, and then there's a Monteverdi aria and a James Bond song, You Only Live Twice. So, so I think there are nine songs in the piece. Anyway, this is a bit from a song called Out of Body. <clears throat> Still as a rock My body sprawls as skin and spine begin their call to come apart and slip away to foreign goals they will not stay I'm out of body of two 
That was gorgeous. Well, you know, there's a very serious quality to this music and to what you're doing, but there's also humor. Yeah, I mean, my favorite place to be is straddling irony and pathos. It's like life, comedy, tragedy, ridiculous one moment, heartbreaking the next, you know, it's just including all the options. You know, gravitas is important, but you also need humor to put it into relief, and that'll make it more profound. Well, I think that some of your stuff has a campy quality to it. Well, camp for me is a really loaded word. Um, no, it's okay. <laughs> and people usually go right to Susan Sontag's essay, and she never came out, by the way. But, um, you know, it camp, drag, those words can tend to be more d dismissive or, or pigeonholing. And I think, uh, to, to honor your question, camp, you know, I had this, this, I was in an art colony this summer, and this, you know, straight guy was like, so please define camp for me. Like, if you, don't, if you have to ask what it is, you don't know what it is. It's, it, sure, a lot of it comes from queer identity, queer impulse, the underdog. There's a sense of the absurd which comes from having to struggle. Um, and it's a way of just lightening everything. But it's also, it, in its own way, or has been a bit of a hidden language, not meant for mass consumption. It's a, it's a, it's a dance. Camp is a combination of swagger and punching somebody in the face. And it's elegant. It can be elegant. What do you think of the idea of documentation of performance art? Well, performance generally is, it's, it's the na nature of performance to be ephemeral. That's its glory and its downside. Unless you have a trust fund, you know, um, it's nice to either also have artifacts attached to the performance, like visual art that you can sell, or really great documentation of it so that you can apply for grants and alert the world that this thing existed. But what about repeating things? I've, I, you know, I, I made many pieces in clubs that I only did once, and once I started moving into other types of spaces, I wanted to reach as many people as I could. So initially it was maybe two nights on a weekend, then it was two weekends, then it was three-week run. To repeat something, you need some skill and technique to be able to replicate it. Showing up is showing up, and you can show up and do it with skill and virtuosity. But you can't fake showing up, and showing up can occur in many different ways. So have you done the, um, this piece before, The Escape Artist? I premiered the piece uh, two years ago at PS122. Before that, I had done a workshop with Music Theatre Group but since then, I've not done the piece. I'm remounting it because I'm going to be filming the live portion at Bard College at the end of this month, and I'll be transforming the piece into a multi-channel video installation piece. The piece is already 80% video with a three-channel bit, and I'm, I hope to have it have a new life in museums and galleries beyond this. Let's talk about <clears throat> production costs. I mean, you're very ambitious, and the things that you put on must cost a lot of money. You're working with other people. I presume you like to pay them. And how do you raise money for your productions? Well, I had a 5-1-C-3 for years, and in, in the halcyon days of funding, you know, which started to wane during the culture wars of the early 90s, you know, the whole climate 
changed. I was lucky enough to have gotten recently two NE, National Endowment for the Arts American Masterpieces grants to revive two of my pieces, the Egan Schiele piece, Pastel Blutwurst Bitte, and my Orpheus piece, Orpheus and Eurydice, Find My Way Home. I can't afford to make big murals like that anymore, so there are no new ones coming up. The escape artist, it's minimal, but even with that, there's, the, the production costs are not anything to be, you know, shake the stick at. Do you, do you think the vi- of the videos as other people? Uh, say again? Do you think of the videos as other people? In other words, you're on the stage and you're, you're you. Um, dramaturgically, you know, this person lying there, morphing into these other characters in his imagination, it's both. It's both other people and it's him. He, doesn't, he might not know it's him. It's, it's like these, it's like an hallucination, you know. There's a point where somebody comes in and says, are you okay? I'm not a doctor. I'm here to see if you're okay. You don't need to apologize for anything that's happened. Just if you need anything, I'm here. And then that face disappeared. I was like, what was that? This beautiful man, was that real? And it really happened. I don't know if that, if, like, that could have been like a guardian angel or something. You know, he's lying there, he, I, not knowing if he needs surgery, 15 hours, no water, no morphine, no painkillers, no aspirin, hearing Alzheimer's patients and puking and this and that and sirens around you, and you're looking at the ceiling for 15 hours. What happens to your sense of reality and time? That song I sang, that's from an out-of-body experience I had while I was lying on the table. I was watching myself from the ceiling. I could see myself on the table, and I was like, i got to come back onto the planet, so I, you know... But it's it's a vision quest. So did you grow up in a household that encouraged you to be artistic? Or where did all this wonderful artistic output come from? I I came from Jersey City. Not not a great place to be anyone, anything different. But um, no, I come from a cultural vacuum. I mean, my father had had art ability, but he didn't really use it. Um, So I don't know where the hell it came from. Desire is a big part of it. I got a scholarship at American Ballet Theater School when I was 17 and went from Jersey to the stage of the Met, you know, in the dance boom of the 70s. And then I quit that after years and went to Parsons School of Design and learned how to draw really well. And I quit that and went to the East Village and started performing in clubs. And are you excited about the climate in which you're putting your art out there today? Do you think we're living at a good time? People are receptive to what you're doing, let's say more so than 10 years ago? No, I think it's a much harder place to make work because everybody's making work now with technology, which is a good thing. Anybody can make a really great-looking photo, a decent movie, and it's also this era of the selfie I mean, I'm sorry, but I really bloody hate that term. That's like reducing the idea of the self-portrait to this, you know, shrill party girl impulse. No offense, party girls. You know, in a loud restaurant. You know, I mean, give me a break. We've been speaking with John Kelly today. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Art Blog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. 
Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And thanks to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio.